Our gospel reading for this morning is that same Magnificat from Luke chapter 1. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown the strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, I want to start a petition because uh, Mary just never gets the credit or the attention that she deserves. You know, in the four Sundays of Advent, two of those Sundays are John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist rolls up again just when you've preached the best John the Baptist sermon that you've got. He rolls around again for the baptism of Jesus and the season of Epiphany. John the Baptist gets all of this attention, and Mary, who did all the work of Christmas, (laughs) gets one little Sunday that, you know, we have to have one service for because it's too close to Christmas. So I'm starting a petition to have more Mary in the lectionary. More Mary. All right. All right. I'll start an online petition and send you the link. Because it's, it's not fair, you know, because Mary sort of has become like this seasonal figure, you know, like we bring the creche out for Christmas Eve with Mary and Joseph, and then we put them back in the box when Christmas is over, and we put it back in the closet, and then we don't think about her again, maybe, you know, at the foot of the cross, but then it's every Christmas. Advent 4 is the moment that we get to give thanks for Mary. Um, we give her such little attention, and yet the Bible says that she is the most blessed among all women. Uh, And we hear that sung in the Magnificat this morning. The Magnificat um, comes from the Latin rendering of my soul magnifies the Lord. So that's where that song gets its name, Magnificat. Um, And it's a song that Mary sings when she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, who's also pregnant. And when they they meet one another, the babies leap in the womb, and uh, Elizabeth confirms all the things that the angel Gabriel said when he told Mary that she would bear God's son. And Martin Luther, the founder of the Lutheran church, loved Mary. Now, he diverted from the, Luther, from the Catholic church in saying that she's a source of salvation or that we should pray to Mary, but he had a great personal and spiritual devotion to Mary. And in 1521, he wrote, um, he wrote a reflection on the Magnificat 
for Prince Frederick of Saxony, his prince protector. Um, and in this essay, he writes that it's important to commemorate the saints like Mary because they are examples to strengthen our trust in God and our faith by reason of the great grace bestowed on them without their worthiness for the comforting of all people. He goes on to say that Mary should be the foremost example of the grace of God precisely because of her most distinguishing feature in our gospel lesson, her lowliness. He writes that Mary ought to incite all the world to trust in this grace and to love and praise it, so that through her the hearts of all people should be filled with such knowledge of God that they might confidently say, O blessed Virgin, Mother of God, what great comfort God has shown us in you by so graciously regarding your unworthiness and low estate. This encourages us to believe that henceforth God will not despise us poor and lowly ones, but graciously regard us also according to your example. Essentially, Luther writes that if God can take a lowly, inconsequential teenage Jewish girl from the first century and elevate her to be the mother of our Lord Jesus, then God can certainly shower us with grace despite our loneliness and shortcomings. Furthermore, if God can call and use Moses, who stuttered, to be his spokesperson, if God could use Abraham and Sarah, who were old and barren, to be the parents of a nation, or call Peter, who denied him as his chief disciple, or Paul, before that Saul, who persecuted him as his great evangelist, then surely God can use us. God can count us worthy and fill us with God's grace. As Luther writes in his essay, God's first work in the Magnificat is mercy. Mercy on the hungry, the poor, the lowliest of all the people. That is demonstrated in his choice of the lowly Mary to carry and give birth to Jesus, a lowliness and humility best exemplified in this song. For even though she is called blessed by the angel and then by Elizabeth, she does not sing a song of herself, but a song honoring God's grace. Um, speaking of Christmas, uh, a couple years ago at Christmas, uh, I was given this book, uh, Our Lady of the Lost and Found, by the Canadian author Diane Champerlin. Uh, I get Canadian authors for Christmas from my Canadian side of the family, <laughs> so I think they're telling me something. Uh, and this book is really lovely, and it's a fictional account about how the Virgin Mary appears in Champerlin's living room one day, wearing a blue coat and white tennis shoes. Uh, and she asks if she can stay at her house for the week. Mary says that she's worn out from traveling all over the world for festivals and feast days, and she needs a break. And uh, the experience is a revelation for the author about her own faith and her own relationship to God. And she writes this, For all these years I had thought of doubt and faith as mutually exclusive opposites. Also faith and reason, faith and despair, faith and fear. I had thought that as long as I still had doubt, I could not have faith. For all these years, I had assumed that God did not want to hear from me until I had resolved my doubts and vanquished my uncertainties. But that Thursday night in April with the Virgin Mary sleeping in the room next door, it suddenly occurred to me that I was wrong. Maybe this endless internal monologue need not be a monologue at all. Maybe it was meant to be a dialogue. Perhaps for all these years, I could have been talking to God. Perhaps that night, when I thought I was thinking, really, I was praying. 
Maybe I had been praying all along. She says, perhaps it was more important to ask these questions than to have the answers. Perhaps God was just as interested in hearing my doubts as anything else. I finally understood that I was being changed forever by asking the questions in the first place. I finally understood that my uncertainty and my doubt were gifts that made me the perfect candidate for faith. What I love about this passage, which seems more like a confession than fiction, was that the very thing that she perceived as detrimental and damaging and contrary to faith was the very thing that made her faithful, her doubt and her questions. And so it is with us. If the life of Mary and the lives of saints show us anything, it's that God can use our failures as well as our successes, our needs, our doubts, our inexperience, as well as our strengths. We receive God's grace not by what we do, but because God is gracious and God is loving and God is compassionate because Jesus gave his life for us first in the manger and then on the cross. We are justified through faith and faith alone, and that is what Mary in her lowliness and humility demonstrates for us so powerfully. Another thing I find remarkable about Mary is that she had the audacity to believe that God had indeed chosen her. When the angel Gabriel appeared to her and gave her this incredible news, at first she was afraid, it says. And the angel said, do not fear, and told her of the promise of bearing God's son. And she said, let it be with me according to your will. Mary was lowly and humble, but she was willing, willing to receive the gift that God gave. God chose Mary that day, and God has chosen you and me. God has chosen us to be instruments to carry the love of Christ into the world. In the Orthodox Church, Mary is often referred to as the Theotokos, which is translated as the God-bearer. And we are the God-bearers of Christ too, each of us in our daily lives. We are bearers of the holy in our homes, in our work, in our commute, in our neighborhoods, in all the things that we do. Of course, we don't carry Jesus physically in our womb, but we carry Christ in our hearts. And just as Mary did, until the day of her death and beyond. Like Mary, each of us has been made pregnant with God's grace. And God has chosen each of us, not in spite of our lowliness, but because of our lowliness. And God calls us to be God-bearers, unworthy recipients of divine grace and audacious witnesses to the love of God that we see at the manger and the cross. Amen. Amen.